been judged. I've been <laughs> judged. And we're live. We never know when that's going to start. And they were just making fun of me. Nothing new under the sun. Hey, are you crazy sci-fi and fantasy yeah, fans? You like it's- it. I mean, it has its moments. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. Yes, I know you're mocking me, Doc. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction, as you can see, mostly that's Doc. But without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Miss Killian Wolf, introduce herself to our listeners and viewers. Hello, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. We're glad you did. Uh, agree. Uh, sometimes people think reaching to, out to them out of the blue is weird and stalkery, but you know, what can you do? Uh, I'm the creep that That's wants to help them sell their stuff. Well, I mean, I send this edited with the new name, but the message is always the same. Hey, we're nerds with a podcast. Let's sell your book. I don't know why that. <laughs> I think we've all become so jaded that everyone instantly has the, it's a scam thing going in the back of their head. Yeah. So it's all those robots and all the money you're about to inherit from your dead uncle in Kenya or whatever. (laughs) All right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found Killian. So I was scrolling the bookish side of Instagram and I found her book covers. And like I said, I just typed fantasy author into the search bar and it gave me a bunch of people. Some of them we we still will be interviewing. Some of them blocked me. I don't know. Whatever. But here we are. <laughs> Doc, you've seen the messages. I promise it wasn't weird. But before we get started, Doc probably won't kick you out because she likes you already. You made fun of me. But we've got to ask the religion question. So, Doc, do your job. My job is never done. It is always making fun of JR first and foremost. It's true. <laughs> it's in the contract. It is. His mother made me promise. For this, she gives me wine and chocolate. <laughs> you know, she's never, she's never bought me alcohol. I'm saying she sent you bottles of wine and I have to buy my own beer. I'm just saying there's something wrong there. Yeah, because I drink good wine, you drink bad beer. But, uh, so, how about sci-fi? We're going to start there today, which is Star Trek, Star Wars, or Firefly. Which one would you pick? So right off the bat, I am a huge Star Wars fan. Like it is part of my family's religion. My mother goes around telling people that Jedi, she is a Jedi. That's her religion. My husband's a huge Star Wars fan. So big, big on Star Wars. I mean, I think it was the fastest growing religion in the early aughts in England. So yeah, Yeah, but um, because you have Firefly on there, oh man, um i really miss firefly i was devastated when i could not continue watching it because they canceled it and yeah that sucks but definitely star wars huge star wars fan did you see that england um actually had somebody try to petition to have jedi recognized as an official religion it failed but it gets closer every time they petition it i think that it just needs to draw more attention you know what i mean because i i I don't see why not like I mean, it's the force. The you know, how how could you argue with the force? It's very Baha'i in in some ways. Oh yeah, yeah. What well, yeah. Jr. Do you know what that means? I'm gonna smile and nod and pretend. The Baha'i oh, no. faith. Yeah. The, yeah, I have a. I had a good friend in high school who was, and we would talk about it sometimes. It was. It's really interesting, but yeah, yeah there's kind of the 
in layman's terms, JR, for you is it says that they kind of believe that everybody is right. They're just not seeing the whole picture. Okay. At least that's how if somebody is listening and they're they have a huge long explanation of how I got it wrong or right, they're welcome to share it with me because this was the explanation I understood as a teenager. So I could be heavily flawed. That sounds a lot like Heinlein Stranger in a Strange Land's uh, moral message. That, you know what? That's what I told her, and I made her read it. So. I think the last time I read about the Baha'i religion, what I was also in high school. I, I don't remember too much about it, except that it was a little altruistic. It is, but I think <laughs> I think most religions are in sure. some ways. So, but getting into the fantasy religions. That just sounds very loaded now that I said it out loud. <laughs> Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, where Conan the Barbarian. So I was a Game of Thrones fan, um, but I just kind of fell off. You know, I, I did you not fell off watch. The wagon? Yeah, I did not watch the, the final season. I know how it ends. And I think it I, kind I, of just pushed people off the wagon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wish I could say that I'm still a Game of Thrones fan. I mean, I still obviously like a lot of the characters, Jon Snow. But um, yeah, Conan of the Barbarian, I think I was too young to really remember it. Um, and I have not gotten into the Wheel of Time yet. It's okay. It's a very um, thick series. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Robert Jordan is like David Weber or when it comes to words the more words the more descriptive the more better gotcha so there's a reason they picked sanderson to continue his legacy right yeah 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 no and i like sanderson so i mean i don't know sanderson's a great guy yeah very wordy in his prose right (laughs) so um as everybody here knows we love both sci-fi and fantasy but which was your first love fantasy in fact i prefer to watch sci-fi rather than read it (laughs) i don't know i i i will always watch a fantasy and i'll always read fantasy but when it comes to sci-fi i very much prefer watching it i can see that there's less paragraphs about explaining scientific principles and it's easier to yeah. If you, if that is not part of the world building that you enjoy, it's easier for it to be kind of sloughed to the side. And it's funny because I, I have a master's in science and archaeology. <laughs> so you would think that I would be very interested in reading sci-fi stuff. But honestly, I don't know. Maybe I just got like dissertationed out. Like I just don't really want to. I mean, <laughs> it actually kind of makes sense to me. But then again, I tell people <laughs> all the time, I don't do I don't do science. Which okay. is not nice to tell people who don't know me because I've apparently suckered this one guy into explaining to me some basic scientific principle and oh. everybody was a jerk until they went, well, and he goes, why are you explaining that to her? And he goes, Cause she said she doesn't do science <laughs> and they turned and they looked at me and they went, you just set him up to look like the biggest jerk. <laughs> Why? Because I have two bachelors of science. I do right. science every day. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was just funny. I just didn't want to talk about science. So I was like, I don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. Um, Like I'll do it when I have to. 
you know, if I'm not archaeology is basically like just being a historian but camping at the same time. Yes. Um. Yeah. Well, Florida mechanics is basically just fantasy. <laughs> True. True story. Yeah. I mean, my master's is in. Um. Well, this is going to be a long one. Environmental paleoeconomy. Um. Okay. Which is like you know ethnobotany, paleoethnobotany. So that's just it's it's just more lab work. Yeah. <laughs> more excel sheets <laughs> staring into a microscope and hurting your eyesight but yeah i mean see that's I, why i, I just chemistry i don't have i get all of that without having to deal with the microscope right my mine was colonial american history for my masters and that was <laughs> it was fun all right and the reason i picked that as my masters is because it was the only master's degree in history that didn't require me to learn a foreign language because you know america <laughs> I apologize. I don't know if you can hear my cat trying banging on the door. Oh, <laughs> I hope that's no. not coming in through. Doc and I have kids. We just assumed it might have been ours. <laughs> Honestly, actually, yeah, I was just wondering if I could go check. Yeah, out. my ears perked up too, and I'm like, is, is he? Is he? Mine should be asleep in bed. If he's not, then he better be hiding because he should be pretending to sleep. So. What was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it watching sci-fi, reading fantasy novels, playing games? Like, where did you find the umbrella genre that we all love known as speculative fiction? My mother bought me my first novel when I was in kindergarten, and that was called Jurassic Park. And it was that big. That's kind of heavy reading. <laughs> One, I approve. Your mother's it a good drug dealer. Huge. Like we know, the first hit is always free. <laughs> yeah. Gotta get them hooked. Oh man, yeah, and I mean, my mom, my mom, like she'd always really been big into reading, and and she's also a writer, and oh, cool. um, so she always put because when I was a kid, I when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist. How I became an archaeologist, I don't know, something happened. But um, there's still an is in there. It's okay. <laughs> Not lost on the way to the historical building. But I actually read it. I read the novel um, a lot of times out loud to her, and I was like. In kindergarten, like I was this little girl, so I just I, think I, I love your mother. She is awesome. Yeah, yeah, she is. She is awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you know she was always into the into the scary stuff. Um, Anne Rice and Interview with the Vampire and the Witching Hour Ooh. and all of those things. I and mean, she bought me Stephen King books when I was very young. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint like, oh, this is when it happened. It's just it's always been kind of like my life. So you're, you come from a family awesome. of readers as well. Sorry? You come from a family of readers? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. On my mom's side, yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> We've broken a few um, stockings on Christmas because they got overloaded with books. Oh, that's Apparently, nice. That's a good that's reason, just... though. <laughs> yeah, we, we've decided hanging them on fireplaces doesn't really work. You break them. You got to <laughs> put them on the floor so you can put more books in. I mean, it's the way. It's the way. Yeah. So, I mean... Doc, you see nothing wrong with this. Don't lie. I've seen your bookshelves. Um. Although we do have a few author friends we know that when we look at their bookshelves, we, we need a moment to, to you know, quell the jealousy and to make peace with ourselves again because their libraries are just so huge. That's awesome. When I lived in England, I was trying not to buy so many books because I always knew it was going to come and move over. Um, so I'm just trying to regain my collection back a little bit. Well, that's not working. There we go. <laughs> I have learned that I can never stop nice. buying books. Yeah. So I just need to learn to be incredibly picky about which books I buy. Yeah. Yeah, and ebooks helped. Oh, yeah. Oh, so many ebooks. Yeah, I have 
thousands of ebooks, and then when they're free, <laughs> my, my ex, and this may be part of why he's an ex, is you go, why are you buying it? Because the two reasons not to are gone. Yeah. What two reasons? It's free and I don't have to store it. Yeah, it's free and I can. <laughs> I, exactly. Doc, I, I think we're keeping your that, that there was some fundamental difference. <laughs> We've that? interviewed. I said, I said, we're keeping you. You're our people. We've interviewed a few authors who are like, oh, I don't like to read. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? Uh, that's how I you improve your writing. I would think as an author, that'd be the one thing you don't admit. That's like a basketball player that's on the NBA. Be like, no, I hate basketball. <laughs> you don't tell people that. He plays tennis on his spare time. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. Tennis is a lot of running, though. I don't know why there's not more cursing as they fall and, and run into the net. And no, stuff. I suck at tennis, man. I'm just, I, oh, I never too. hit the ball. I just, I just chase after it. And by the time I'm over here, the ball's already over there. And I'm like, I hit, I, when I took tennis classes, I hit the ball exactly twice. One of those times I managed to hit the instructor with the ball. By the way, the instructor was standing behind me. <laughs> That's talent. So, I uh, stopped playing after that semester. <laughs> So planks, I, I actually took, um, when I was in undergrad, I, I took a semester where we did, you know, introduction to various sports because it was an easy credit. And uh, tennis was on there. I felt, Did I take that class? Uh, I was just, because of my deployments, I had to get some easy credits to, to graduate oh, yeah. um, without being a delay. But uh, I will say when you play tennis, I felt like a dog playing fetch because that's all I felt like I was doing was running back and forth after the dang ball. It was, it was not fun. <laughs> Give me rugby any day. You can hit people. Oh, What's not to love? That's brutal. But it's fun though. <laughs> that's now, the, the really brutal game. Track. It's like football, and I, but without the tackling. And I'm so glad he remembers without the tackle. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> I, the, the real hard one is the lacrosse, because I've been hit with one of those because they had a practice field next to us. And they, I don't know if it was on purpose because we were encroaching their field or on accident, air quotes. But uh, yeah, those things hit you. They hurt. I had a welt yeah, for a while. I heard about that. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. not good. So getting back on track without going too far down memory lane, because we want to talk about your books a lot. Well, what is it about speculative fiction as a as an umbrella genre that you love so much? I think honestly, just the magical escapism of it. You know. I don't know. Um real life is just kind of brutal and harsh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so can fantasy be, you know what I mean? So can like sci-fi, but just the possibility that like you can enter another world and there's magic or something like that, you know? Yeah, just... but it's also harsh without actually being feeling it. You. <laughs> right. I mean, yes. Yes. I get yeah. it when like certain characters die. I have bawled my eyes out, but it's not actually being done to you and you can take a break. Yeah. I mean, it can hit you emotionally sometimes, you know, but then like, it, you know, you remind yourself these are just fictional characters and you can move on with your life. <laughs> yes. Now Absolutely. that I'm an adult, that is a skill set I have learned. As a teenager, I did not have that. <laughs> right. I think there are still some characters I haven't really gotten over, if I'm honest, but, you know. Yeah, there's a few. So have Out of all of those experiences and the ones you've had in life, are there any that have, like, formed how you are as a storyteller? That's an interesting question. Um, probably. 
<laughs> I mean, I've always had an, you know, a big imagination and I've always deep and down, deep down, I've always been a writer because my mom was a writer. And, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of just watch what your parents do and copy them. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that the more the more I've read, I've, I've really loved the scary, the spooky, the dark, you know. I've always mm -hmm. leaned more into Anne Rice and Stephen King more than even Jurassic Park. You know, I mean, I liked it. It's classified as horror. Ma Michael Crichton was too, uh, John Crichton, whatever he was. I think it was Michael. Uh, it was just too perky for you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I did love it. I did love it. But, um, but no, I was more into the paranormal kind of side of uh, fantasy. I get that. Yeah. Um, so what is it about all this love that kind of transitioned you from just a consumer and lover of it to somebody who wants to create it? Um, yeah, like I said, I think I've always had like uh, stories that I've wanted to tell. I've always wanted to be an author. And because I've always loved the paranormal and I've done my own like paranormal investigations and stuff like that, I, my, my brain just kind of take over and be like, oh, you know, I also grew up in a haunted house. So do you believe in ghosts? Yeah. So what's this, um, that we're going a little bit off script, Doc, just humor me okay. for a second. When I'm going to say this one, whenever you're in a, haunt, a house with a ghost and you start talking about like how you don't like them, they get or they don't believe in them, they get hostile about it. I don't know. I've never had, I've been in places they told me were haunted and I insulted the ghost and I didn't see anything and nothing bad happened. So yeah. I, I'm, no. I'm uh, skeptical. What's that? <laughs> you know, but one thing that I always get is all the ghosts are always like from the 17 and 1800s and periods that are really cool. Where is there no circa 2000s like guy like careening himself in a corner screaming Britney did nothing wrong? Like where are all the modern I'm ghosts? sure they're there. <laughs> but no. Well, so the house that I grew up in, my grandfather designed it. Uh, oh, he wow. Designed it, he built the house and actually it inspired my Castilian Blood series. Um, not to get too off topic because we're here for Lost in Terror Land, but um, but I even have the plans of the house in the back of the first book. Like it is like that is in that house. And my uncle passed away when he was 27 in a motorcycle accident. So he inspired one of the characters. And I always believed that he was one of the ghosts in the house. Um, just there was like a very huge attachment uh, to this particular spirit and he would appear to people and people would describe what he wore what my uncle wore in his casket top hat black suit the way he would stand well top hat's very distinctive for it's very distinctive the way he would stand though my my uncle he was really kind of like he was tall and he was muscular and he had like this like stance and um it, it was it was crazy because um, I would actually see like black masses kind of going from one room to the other very slowly and they would appear out of nowhere. Things would move in front of me, but I would never actually physically see my uncle's spirit, but other people would and describe his characteristics to me. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. That was him. And my grandfather, he had like these monitors installed in the house where sometimes they would just turn on and you would hear somebody speaking. Down the line, I found out that there is a demon 
who preys on young girls who have lost someone and they imitate the person they have lost. So that's interesting. And that should go in a book somewhere uh, if you haven't already. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. what, what uh, paranormal activities were you uh, investigating? You said you've done some investigations. Yeah, so I did a lot in that in my own house. Unfortunately, my grandfather lost the house to the banks um, due to a series of unfortunate events. But uh, I, I would take people over there and I would try to work with those spirits before I realized it was not actually my uncle. And um, we've got, so now I live in St. Augustine, but when I didn't live in St. Augustine, we'd come up here and do investigations and we would do some in Key West and it was a lot of fun. Okay, that sounds interesting. So having my only experience to that kind of work is the stuff you see on the History Channel, which for some reason they don't actually talk about history, just aliens and ghosts. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, we hate the uh, History Channel. Just like MTV <laughs> actually doesn't show any music videos on television anymore. Not anymore. But I remember Not when they did. Anymore. How accurate are the uh, the investigations you see on the History Channel for ghost hunting? Is that what you guys do or is that just... Yeah, you Again. can always use an EVP and EMF and things like that. Um, you can pretty much use any kind of anything that, that you might get something. Uh, if you're kind of treating it as a science, that's the best way. Really, um, Use anything in, that you can. Now, I have no, I, I'm not a film person, so I don't know. I can't tell you if like, yeah, these are definitely legit, you know. Okay. Um, most of the, the History Channel is just them running around heavy breathing, and all I can think of is, dude, cardio. Join me. We'll go to the gym. Um, not that I'm judging like from a position where I'm a stud or anything, but I'm just saying I can you walk can around learn. the house without dying. The I'm Blair there, Witch but... Project comes to mind, that like shaking of the camera, the breathing, and they're like looking at a branch, and they're like, look, it's there. And I'm like, I feel you. I feel you. So uh, you mentioned in the in the introduction earlier that you were in the Army National Guard. So we ask all of our authors this question who also served. But do you feel like your time in uniform affects the stories you tell? Uh, maybe one character, um, maybe one or two characters. But I so with the guard, I, I was in for three years. Unfortunately, I had an uncategorized discharge due to my eyesight. So I was not sent anywhere. And it was a lot of time spent trying to become an officer um, for no reason. So, <laughs> okay. Well, that stinks, but you did more than most. So, hey, we thank you for your service. Thank you. Um, I learned a lot and I still appreciated my time there. So, I mean, do you ever. You're willing so to you sign on the line, you get to be a sister. Absolutely. So you mentioned that, you know, you maybe some of your characters are, in, are inspired by your time in uniform. Were they directly inspired by people you knew or just the culture? A little bit of both. Um, a bit of the culture. But there's one character uh, who is such a hard ass. And yeah, he, he is inspired by by a certain captain I knew. Cool, cool. <laughs> so... Just a little bit of an inspiration, though. If, if if they're ever ever watching, it's it's not the whole character. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get that because sometimes, like, you have to make people larger than life in either their good or their bad sides to make the yeah. character work. And so, it's not fair to say it's a one for one unless you're writing a biography. Right. Yes. Um, and even then, that's an interpretation unless you're using. Okay, primary I can't wait for somebody to write a biography where you're in it. I mean, it would probably be kind of boring. 
know. My life wasn't that You're exciting. Boring. I didn't say with you a biography of you. Oh, well then why would they hire Maybe your mom. Mom money. Mom's pretty amazing. She is. All right. So we talked a little bit about how your timing uniform affects the way you tell stories. Does it has it changed how you engage with content as a reader, be it movies, video games, or oh, yes. um, novels? Oh, for sure. For sure. So before so I, I got into a real um historical fantasy like time period where I would read I love David Gemmel. And a lot of that was just due to like the military culture that he would write and uh, the fantasy war, if you will. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think Doc and I have talked about this and we're actually planning a fireside chat of that's like our sort of panels away from a con is uh, we've noticed in both fantasy and sci-fi, they tend to write combat too clean and everyone's so nicely dressed. It's just like when you watch the historic videos and everyone's teeth are so pretty. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they didn't have like, toothpaste or, I mean, not to say they didn't clean their teeth, but like it's just too sanitary, and I'm like, eh, right. no, people. I mean, even if you've just been camping, you don't even have to have been to combat. You know, you get dirty. Um, yeah. So you can exhort a sarge set. That's Doc and I um, keeping each other on the on task, so to speak. Yeah. I should have told you that in the pre-show. This is boring to the audience, and I'm sorry. But Doc, the fandom question is next, and this is the one you get all excited about. So transitioning from all of this into some fandom, because you know. You have an audience. You have people who love what you do. Have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet? Not cosplay yet. I can't wait for that. But um, I have a reader who she makes little crafts of like inspired by books that she reads. And I have a character. Well, it's a spider. And her name is Philo. And the spiders in my story are like they're kind of like made of shards of like glass and she created it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She that, created that's it. That's fan art to a whole new level. Glass I, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. And she put it on TikTok and I was just like, oh my God, I could cry. Like it was beautiful. That is awesome. Yeah. People who can make pretty things and art with their hands, like, like pictures and paintings and all that stuff that just constantly impresses me. It's amazing. Okay. I do not have those skills. Glasswork. I'm going to say this one, JR. Glasswork is a category all on its own. It's art meets science. I know. I'm not I, sure I, she I used glass. glass. I'm not sure what she used, but it, it came out really beautiful. That is amazing. I, I really love that. So it's great to have creative fans because they kind of, it gets synergetic. They feed yeah. you and you feed them. Right. So has anyone ever asked for your autograph and what was it like? Uh, so actually recently, and I don't know if, if this counts, but um, I've had two different readers reach out to me on Facebook to see if they could buy a signed copy from me. Mm -hmm. That they, they didn't want to buy it on Amazon. They wanted specifically like my autograph. They wanted me to sign it and send it to them. So that was like... That was so sweet. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> Just make sure you spell your name right when you sign it. <laughs> right? I get really nervous. No, like, I didn't no. do that, JR. No, I did. The oh, first time someone. Right. You're the one who did it. 
Yeah, the first time someone asked for my autograph, I was so nervous I forgot how to write in cursive and ended up spelling my name wrong. Not because I don't know how to spell my name, but because A's and N's and D's right next to each other, it can sort of squiggle together. Yeah. And so it didn't the A looks like it morphed into the N and the N wasn't there because my cursive sucks. I, I have definitely been that nervous while yeah. while signing for sure. Yeah. Like like jokes aside, when I applied for an ROTC scholarship from the Marine Corps in college, one of the, the requirements was you write this essay. I don't remember the topic, but you had to write it by hand in cursive. That's probably to make sure you don't cheat. I spent more time practicing the cursive and practicing writing it in oh. cursive than I did writing the dang essay because oh. I never used it otherwise. <laughs> so anyway. All right, Doc. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go back to your fandom That's stuff. Okay. I understand it's very cute and adorable that you have overcome your defectiveness. <laughs> so, no, in all seriousness, cursive is rather hard. And um, so, and you have to be dedicated as an adult to learn how to do it. Um, I kind of have a hard time writing in print now because I've been writing in cursive my whole life. <laughs> I, um, I will say. I learned curse. I learned. So I learned print in like first grade slash kindergarten kind of but then i immediately learned cursive in second grade yeah and then i went to a school that was learned teaching it in third and then a school that was oh. teaching it in fourth and so like when i got to third grade nobody could read by handwriting but the teacher and i was because it was cursive and i was right. so embarrassed so now i have this really weird hybrid of the two Oh, I see. I find I find print just easier. So it is easier. That's why they cursive first. So the, the most cursive in theory is faster because your pen doesn't have to come. Yeah, up. that's why I feel like it's easier because I can just and with print it's like my hand hurts more. <laughs> Although I can read it easier than I can write it because a lot of the historical stuff because you're reading a lot of primary sources is written in a form of cursive, and they don't even get me started on the historical typefaces where F's and S's and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. My, uh, I did an under I did an internship at Valley Forge and I translated into like I typed up into a modern typewriter all of the 1700s Boston gazettes and I'm telling you that drove me bonkers. Well, you were bonkers, so it probably took one. <laughs> Um, Possibly true. Very true. So, uh, that being said, have you spotted somebody reading one of your books out in the wild? Not yet. That would be so exciting. I, <laughs> so how do you think you're going to react the first time you see that? You're going to go all fangirl? Or are you going to be like, play it cool? Like, oh, what's the, what you reading? Are they any good? I've never heard of this author. So I, <laughs> so I would probably... So it would probably depend... like probably depend on what I'm doing and what I'm wearing if I'm going to approach this reader. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I might just uh, take a seat next to them and just be like, cool book. <laughs> and see. Uh, I, we had one author who said he started insulting the book until oh. and, until the person started defending the book. Oh, awesome. I'm like, that is that is some serious weirdness. I kind of like that strategy. So oh, it would yeah. be funny if the reader turned around and says, yeah, man, this sucks. I, I, I might DNF it. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Oh, dude. I'm like, you're playing with fire. Yeah, you really are there. <laughs> I hadn't even considered that possibility, but now I'm going to. I think it was Larry Korea who said he did that in an airport once. Um, It was Larry Korea and it was Robert Ross. 
Yeah. So, all right. So this is the uh, the exciting part, Killian, where you get to tell us everything you have written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest uh, version of your body of work? Sure. So I started off with uh, my Castilla Blood series and start starting off by fantasy. And that has five books in it. Um, the fifth one that's available on Amazon, it's just their part of the series so people can see it. Because if you put it book zero, you won't. Um, Amazon hides it. Um, but that that's kind of like a standalone villain story. And that's the Castilian Blood. It's an urban fantasy new adult series. And I also have a children's book series called Little Krampus. It's my Little Krampus series. And it's a non-religious like holiday book. Yeah, <laughs> It's fun. I'm working on the fourth one now. So that should be ready by Christmas, I hope. And I of course... I know what I'm getting for Christmas. <laughs> Little Krampus. Oh, yeah, I have a big plans for Little Krampus, plushies, the whole bit. Um, and then, of course, now I'm working on my Chronicles of Tarotland series. And we have Book Zero. This one I did do a Book Zero because I have the ebook free to join my list. But the paperback is available on Amazon. And that one is a standalone. It's with a character that you will meet in Lost in Tarotland. And he will get his own spin-off series that's more Norse mythology after this one. And then, yeah, Lost in Terrorland, and then the next book in the series is coming out soon, which is called The Devil's Gambit. All right. All of that sounds fascinating, but before we dive into that, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man and the woman, because uh, you listened to their interview last week, people. Are you searching for an epic new fantasy book to read? Well, look no further. Try out Spring for Spears, where the fate of the Wolf Riders falls on an outcast. Astrid would give anything to be one of the Ulfsark, the fearless warriors who ride giant Amarak wolves. Like her ancestors, she yearns for the soul-deep bond with the wolf, the connection, the union, a chance to prove her worth and honor her mother's legacy. Yet, she's never heard the wolf song, and with each passing year, it's likely she never will. Except... Astrid refuses to accept her fate. Then, an encounter with a nature spirit and a foreign princess dashes her last hope and changes everything. Will Astrid save a fragile peace and embrace her destiny? Or will her dreams of the wolf song fade to distant lands? Join Astrid and friends on a thrilling new fantasy adventure in A Spring for Spears, the first novel in the Wolf Song Saga a series by best-selling, award-winning authors Katie Cross and Derek Allen Sidaway. I thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. And I've actually read that book because they they gave me a, a review copy. And, oh, my goodness, they are evil, cliffhangering bastards who are going to leave me hanging till the end of summer. <laughs> um, and I will say this one. It is, it is both wonderful to hear my friend doing it, but also very weird. It reminds me of being a kid and hearing my mom like read me a bedtime story to bed. <laughs> to yeah, I'm gonna have to ask her to uh, re-record that to, uh, to make that louder. I didn't realize how soft that was gonna be when I played it as a commercial. But uh, we're not here to talk about Katie. That was the last episode. We're here to talk with Killian today. So thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. But let's not dally. So let's talk about the book that brought us brought us here. Wow, I can speak tonight. Lost in Tarotland. So where did you get the premise for this universe? Did you uh, how'd you come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, uh, overindulging in overly caffeinated coffee? Because I've I've peeped your YouTube page and I know you like Cuban coffee. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I drank that once and I could see sound and hear colors. I'm just saying. <laughs> it runs through my veins. Yes. I've actually quit cold turkey temporarily because I went to the hospital and I had to like cut a lot of stuff out of my diet just temporarily. So it's, I've been like, oh, no. I actually, I paid for grad school working at Starbucks and other uh, coffee shops. And one of my managers was, was Cuban American. And so she's like, no, you can't drink this Starbucks crap. That's not real coffee. Let me make it. And she brought in the whole fix and the whole setup into work. And we all had Cuban coffee. And I could swear, like, I was jittery. It was glorious. I wish I could make it myself, but I just could never get it quite right. Oh, I make it very good, very well. I apparently need to find local Cuban friends because it yes. was delicious. Yeah, so, anyway. I'm half, so I'm half Cuban, but I'm also half Honduran. And I used to spend some weeks with my father in his farm in Honduras. And um, I took with me like a bunch of books, like this nerd going into the jungle with like all these books. I've right? seen nothing wrong. <laughs> and, I'm, and what was I studying? I was studying um, esoteric, you know, different paths, paganism, tarot cards, stuff like that. And I, it, I have insomnia. I've always had insomnia. And it was like, I swear, like at one, two in the morning and it's so silent. So we're up in the mountains um, in Valle Angeles and my father's asleep. Everybody's asleep. And I am there and I just get like a spark of idea. Just reading the history of the tarot inspired me that I wanted to write kind of back then and this was years ago okay this was a very very long time i want to say it was like 16 years ago um so this is this has been in the back burner for a long time i wanted to write a book where the tarot cards changed your surroundings and brought you into another world but at the time i wanted it to be more historical because what they used to be was they used to give you images and stories of what was happening outside of what the church wanted people to know. So I wanted a lot of those things to come to light. But years later, and I started writing fantasy, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And after speaking to my editor about my idea, she said, wow, that actually really reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. Except instead of the playing card soldiers, we have the minor arcana soldiers. Um, instead of Queen of Hearts, we have the Empress. And all of this just started sparking. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> this is going to happen. Okay. I mean, I, I, I like that. That sounds interesting. I remember as I was prepping, like obviously all the books sound interesting or we wouldn't interview, but interesting and interesting enough that I would spend my time to read it aren't always the same. And this one is on the, I was looking for the audiobook. So audiobook. Yeah. I, I didn't see it, but that doesn't mean it might not come in the future. Yeah. I, I hope it does come in the future. Um, it, it, yeah. I sales need to go up <laughs> in order for me to be able to warrant the audiobook. Yeah, I got to uh, I got to get a new uh, e-reader because I've been reading on my phone and the little thing just like, mm, yeah, it's not good for my eyes. So it's time to actually fork out for like a small tablet I can use. I but Doc that. swears I shouldn't get the Kindle Fire because I should not be proprietarily bound to Amazon. She she doesn't like uh, Bezos. I think they have a blood feud going on, but I can't swear. There's not a blood feud going on. I refuse to have a blood feud with a golem. <laughs> All right, Doc. Let's let's not uh, have you go down the dark path. Uh, I, you know, Nook, we... Nook came back. 
Yes, I yeah. love my nuts. <laughs> she names them in everything. Oh, nice. I, I, I think she's having a romantic relationship with her nook. I go to sleep with my nook more often than I do anybody else. It's okay. All right. That's question 21 instead. We don't want to make people feel awkward. <laughs> okay. So uh, what would you say the age range of your stories is? So this is young adult, but I I do say that this is upper YA. Yeah. like So not quite new adult, but still young adult. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like 16 year olds are probably fine. 17, pretty good age spot and up. Yeah. So, so what is it? Those... Oh, what were you? Gonna... I was going to say, just because, you know, there are precocious readers like the three of us who read things way before we were probably old enough. Right. Uh, what in it? What is in it that makes you give pause? So that way, because we have some families that listen together, yeah. you know, whether they're what their tolerance is, is obviously might vary. So what is it in it that makes you say 16 to 17? Yeah. So like you said, it depends on the tolerance. I've had a parent say, no, my kid, you know, can read, you know, and then she'll, she'll list books and I'll be like, oh, okay, fine. Then yeah, go ahead. So yeah, you know, um, it, it, it does have some steam. There's nothing, um, like there's no, real spiciness on screen like it does fade to black but the steam can get pretty intense and okay. there's also a lot of blood and gore okay yeah sounds like a plan all right sorry to interrupt Doc. no 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 that's fine um i would say that new for if you are a listener and you don't know what new adult is new adult is very akin to young adult but with some young adult tropes and everything but with um some much more mature content. Yeah. Um, I, I once had a new adult fan explain it to me as YA meets 50 shades. And I went, Oh, okay. Yeah. So badly written fanfic. No, I think she meant like the maturity. No, I, I was over. trying to be funny, but sure. Walk all over the joke. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's a bookseller, so she knew what she was talking about. I'm not doc. I was literally just trying to be funny, like overanalyzing it oh, ruins funny. the joke. <laughs> That's okay. question 22. You're Jesus. You're not funny. It's okay. It's okay that you're not funny. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's put this book cover up. I think it's awesome. So you first have... off, she has some amazing uh, ad copy. But now let's just zoom into the book itself. All right, Doc. I got it up. You're good. I am good. I think it's an amazing cover. I love it. Um, so can you tell us a bit about how this was uh, generated? I mean, it does it does remind me of a discovery of witches in a good way. Ooh, I like that. I've read that book series. I'm impressed. You read. <laughs> so no, we had a huge discussion about uh, about discovery of witches. So, but tell me, I mean, it as it's not, if you are, uh, it can be a little challenging for people with who are colorblind, but I think it is a very good cover. Thank you. Yeah. So Logan Keys is my cover designer and she is just amazing, 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 amazing. Um, she, this is actually a rebrand. So the first, the first cover it was actually titled The Cursed Tarot. 
And I actually have a little poster here that I could show the screen. This is what it looked like. Oh, hold on before. for just a second, and I'll put you on a solo layout real quick. Oh, I like that too. There we go. That is what it looked Ooh. like before. But so that doesn't see. really strike me as tarot, though. Ah, but yeah. I love it. Right, exactly. I, mean, I love it. It's very, um, and, um, that Italian thing with the masks. Yeah. And and that's part of, that's part of the villains whole thing. So this is like the empress of the book. And even though it was a beautiful cover and people, people seem to really love it. Um, I think it was drawing the wrong crowd. I think it okay. was, I think because of the mask and that ominousity of it, I think it was calling a lot of uh, dark romance readers. I could see that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we decided to do it over. We even changed the title, which unfortunately made me lose all of my reviews that I had on Amazon. So now, I, now I'm up to like nine reviews for The Lost in Tarot Land. Uh, be, Previously, I had like 25 or something on there, but oh well, starting over. Um, but Lost in Tarotland, it just, it was more, it reminded me of uh, Lost in Wonderland. And we wanted to really bring in those Alice retelling vibes because it is a fairy tale retelling. Now, I did, without telling them about the um, the sub subtitle of the story being, you know, the dark retelling of. Alice in Wonderland. I showed some people that weren't colorblind this cover, and they're like, "Is this Alice in Wonderland?" So, so you you nailed it with that. Because um, in prep work, if I can't see a cover because it's colorblind, I, I bug my friends that can see colors. Okay. Uh, to, to get impersonation impressions. There we go of the book. So, I would say you nailed that. Yeah, we still have like the drink me bottle, and then the little Cheshire cat, and the. The mushrooms, but we also have, and the checkers, the checkered print in the back, but we also have a few notes of like nautical with a steering wheel and lost. And, um, you know, to, to, to kind of also be like, okay, this is a bit of a mashup. I dig it. I really like what you're doing here. Thank you. All right, Doc, did we bore you? Sometimes no, you she knits, but me. she I doesn't stab me. Killian, sometimes she's knitting on the side so she doesn't stab me. It's it's her escape route. Oh, that's fine. It's a thing. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but uh, so, Jared, the next question is actually yours. Well, actually, it's not, but I'll claim it anyway. So, what would the thirty second elevator pitch of this be? She got distracted knitting and she forgot where we were. No, I where didn't. we were. Anyway, 30-second elevator pitch and go. It's series special. I would say it's a young adult fantasy enemies to lovers, Alice in Wonderland pirate mashup. So what is it about the enemies to lovers that you that you like so much? Because I'm I'm I hold a grudge. Maybe it's it's the Scottish ancestry. That's that's what my grandma always told me. But I don't know that I could ever forgive someone that's truly an enemy long enough to fall in love with them. Right? Yeah. And I think that that whole little taboo about it is what I love so much to read in fantasy. Um, okay. Not so much in real life, but the tension between the characters, usually there is an attraction, but they're, but they know that they have to hate each other because of something big, something, something so bad and drastic that it's like, I can't allow myself to feel attracted to this person, but that tension is still there. So would that, would, uh, would you, do you think like the Romeo and Juliet where their families didn't like each other, but they did would qualify as enemies to lovers? 
Well, no, because Romeo and Juliet, um, they weren't really enemies, were they? No, but I, I, I'm just trying to find out where the line is. I'm a piss on the grave and salt the earth kind of guy. So. <laughs> and I have a list. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what is it do you think that makes your series special? This is not it. This is not your normal retelling. Um, you're not going into Wonderland here, obviously, right? It's lost in Terrorland. So you are. So this, there are parallels. Um, I can show you a picture of my version of a Cheshire cat. Sure. Let me art. put you back on the solo screen. Give me just a second. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's creepy, yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I, I want him to be my pet now. Right, right, and I mean, that explains um, so much about Jr. But it does. It does. <laughs> And he he can so in in my world building and, and we can talk a little little bit about the world building later. Um, kind of like how we have a fifth dimension that's like, you know, there's a spirit world over there. There's a spirit world, but it's very 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 real. And animals that have magic can disappear into it and come back out. So Categaris, Gary for short. Um, he has access to all these magical cookies and stuff like that. And he gives them to the main character, like, here, try this. And uh, <laughs> so there are parallels. He's like the Cheshire cat version. He's just a little bit more twisted in, you know, different ways. And then, like I was saying before, we have instead of the Queen of Hearts, we have the Empress. Um, instead of a Mad Hatter character, I do have a pirate captain. Um, and the armies are similar. But... But again, it's not Wonderland. The world is completely made up. It's very epic fantasy. I even have a conlang constructed language in there. Cool. Nice. Now, how um, some people that construct a language, they're like literally functional languages, like nerds can speak them. And I'm not yeah. saying that judgmentally. I met a guy who spoke Klingon so well, when he was drunk, he was still talking in Klingon. Uh, is it one of those? That, I like that. You don't get out much. I mean, I don't go to cons, no. And he was at a con drunk talking in Klingon to somebody who was wearing Vulcan stuff. I don't know if they have a language too. Uh, I just kept walking at that point. It was a little uncomfortable. Um, but is it a language that could actually be spoken or just enough for the book? Absolutely, yes, actually. In fact, I hired, full disclosure, I hired someone to create the conlang. And I can tell you who he is. His name is Christian Thalman. And he has worked on one of the languages. I forgot which one, which one. He worked on the language for Shadow and Bone. And he helped with Dothraki. Um, okay. So he's, he's very professional. And he had, he's, he's still working on it because the series is still going. And, I mean, he has a freaking dissertation size of this language. So if, yeah, um, if people really want to get into it, they can actually speak it. And, um if, if this ever, not that there's any plans, not that I'm even trying right now, but if it was ever put into TV, any team of conlangers can take these notes and build on it. Nice. Nice. I wonder if when he went to school to get his dissertation in languages, if he realized he would get paid by nerds to make up fake ones instead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not judging it. I think it's kind of cool, but it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so which tropes do you feel like lost in Terrorland, which is subtitle, a dark Alice in Wonderland retelling, which tropes do you think you hit the best? 
So I think I mentioned enemies to lovers. Um, so definitely found families. I like that. Yeah, found families. And um, there's a little bit of a chosen one. I think it is a chosen one. It, it's a little bit different, but it is definitely a chosen one trope in there as well. Okay. Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, this is fantasy. We've said that. Uh, which yeah. subgenres of fantasy do you think this best fits into? It sounds like it's definitely some adventure fiction, uh, but what else? Fairy tale retellings, uh, YA fairy tale retellings, um, and of course, Alice in Wonderland retellings. That's its own thing. And um, I would also go with myths and legends because the Empress and the ancient Greeks basically came into this portal world and they took over. So there's ancient Greek myths in there. Okay. I, are you, well, obviously as a historian, you get some level of training on the, on the ancient myths, but is that something you were already interested in or is that something you, you said, Hey, that would work for the story. And now let me learn more. That, um, I mean, I've studied ancient Greek mythology, um, for for years but but in this case yeah it worked for the story because i wanted to incorporate the past fates and you know that's lachesis clotho and atropos so i was like you know what i'm going to make past fate descendants and they're going to come from ancient greece and that's why i did it this way okay now I, because i did my education through the through military history channels it was more Norse and Valhalla was the focus, but I will tell you, I have read Rick Reardon, so I think I'm pretty much at this point an expert on the Greeks and the Romans. It's totally the same thing, right? <laughs> oh my God! Eyes are gonna roll right. Why do I let you talk to people? Oh my! Uh, the spinoff series is gonna be um, in Yggdrasil, in those lands. And nice. uh, I'm, I'm very big in Norse mythology, so I can't wait. That's the exciting. Fool's Journey, which is book zero, is is more into that because that character, that's his path. All right. Well, then, Doc, save me for myself and ask your question next before I come up with more off-the-wall shenanigans. <laughs> oh, you are off the wall. That is for sure. So do you have any really unique secondary characters that you would love to tell us about to flesh out this world? Secondary characters. Yeah. The whole crew. The whole pirate crew are great. All of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah. Um, they are each very unique in their own right. And without giving spoilers, um, one of the characters, she's in a wheelchair. And this is a land where that doesn't really happen much. And she's a badass. And I mean, the hermit was her, the, and this is a tarot card archetype, of course, um, was her mentor and taught her how to create a wheelchair so that she can use it because she was born not being able to use her legs. And she has like chair cannon and she can make explosive potions and she's just, she's freaking amazing. <laughs> I love that character so much. So you said that it doesn't happen much. Is that because the medicine is so good that people aren't normally injured that way? Or it's so bad that people don't normally survive those injuries? Because people don't really survive them. It's it's kind of a rarity. Okay. That but, makes but, she sense wasn't, but, but it wasn't an injury. Um, she was just born that way. So it, it's it's a rarity. 
Okay. What about the uh, the main character? What can you tell us about about that uh, character? Without obviously spoiler alert, but there's definitely room to sell them as uh, exciting. I'm sorry, can, can, I, I missed the first part of that. So, so what can you tell us about the main character? You've hinted a little oh, the bit. The main character. Oh. Okay. Uh, so the main character again, without you know giving spoilers. Um, so because this is an Alice in Wonderland retelling, I do start off here on Earth, and we actually start off in Louisiana. Um, so the main character's name is Soren, and she grew up in the foster system after her mother was institutionalized, and her father couldn't handle her. So, but something that she did learn from her dad was a three-card money trick. And okay. yeah, and uh, she she takes that with her and she scams people for money. And she's working in a in a carnival called Tarotland. And while working there, she steals a magical tarot card that opens a portal to this world. So um, did she she bring any modern tech with her or was it just whatever the clothes she had on her back? Uh, so I just didn't really want to give too many spoilers, but she does get in trouble for stealing, not stealing the tarot card, but she was framed for something else and she ends up in jail, but she manages to have the tarot card on her. So she kind of falls into this world wearing a, an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Which also means more than a ship she probably wouldn't have on her. <laughs> no yeah she had nothing on her um so and the tarot card also it, it is the world card from the tarot deck of course um cool. and she has you know she had so her personality she has a very hard time trusting people you know just her father gave her up she she's been in the foster system right so um all except one person that she considers her sister from the group home and the entire time she's just completely devastated that she's no longer with her sister um, but then when she lands in the world, she does get rescued by the pirates. And the captain is the, again, the tarot card archetype. He is the devil from the tarot deck. Uh, deems her a spy for the empress. And that is the whole, that's that's her antagonist in book one and also her love interest. So you mentioned the tarot cards a lot. Do you stick with the actual tarot cards or did you sort of make your own versions of them up for this series? A little bit. So I did draw inspiration from uh, the tarot deck, but here's the thing. There are so many different definitions, <laughs> you know, um, and there are just so many different variations also now. So I, I drew inspiration and I also kind of created my own um, ideologically for the book. Now, you... Go ahead, Doc. I was going to say, this is a series. So yeah. is there, is he the, is there another overarching bad guy between the books? That kind of Yeah, so he's only the antagonist for book one, but the whole overarching uh, villain is the Empress and also her hierumphant another tarot card archetype um who's your advisor he's a really bad guy and there's also ipani well ipani are the name of the natives and they have magic they have something called uma and so there are ipani traffickers throughout the series as well okay so given you have some training with the army 
Um, and you are an author, and I know you've done horrible, nasty, no good, dirty, rotten things to your characters. If they met you in a back alley and they knew that you were Killian Wolf, the one who created their torment, how do you see that interaction playing out? I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> Which of the characters or secondary characters would give you the most trouble? The devil captain. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Probably the pirate captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so kill me on the so let me ask you this. Pirates are popular right now. Lots of people are getting into it. And so they've, in some respects, watered down what it means to actually be a pirate to the point oh. where Disney has the uh, Jake and the Neverland pirates. And the famous line I heard when my sons were watching it when they were little was, we don't steal, we're pirates. We don't oh. do that. And all I could think was, no, no, that's not how this works. That's, that's not, not how, how any works. of this works. <laughs> so uh, on a scale of Jake and the Neverland pirates and I don't know, whatever the opposite end of that would be. Where are your pirates on the um, authenticity to the trade? So where are my pirates as in my main character crew or yes. the pirates of the whole world? Both. You can answer both. Okay. So the pirates of the whole world, they are horrible. They're, 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 they're rough. They're rough. They traffic people. They steal, they kill. Um, the pirates of my crew, they do not traffic people but they are pirates against the Empress. They will not follow her rules. They will not abide by the laws. They are, you know, seeking refuge on their ship. And So basically they're privateers. They are. They are. They, they will still kill and they will still steal, um, but their motives are different. Okay. I like that. Um, do they get a letter of marquee from anyone or they just gave it to themselves? They gave it to themselves. Even better. All right. Since we talked about your characters, do you have a favorite character archetype when you write? I have a soft spot for the anti-hero and the villain. Did you write, root for the Emperor when, and the Empire and the Stormtroopers when you watched Star Wars? Um... You know what? Your parents are going to listen, so I'm I, just saying. I, I know, right? I know. But she she knows I'm a Sith. My mom knows I'm a Sith. <laughs> <laughs> Nick know. is going to be sorry he missed this one. <laughs> you know what? Have you ever uh, taken the Meyer Briggs test and then um, Googled, like, Meyer Briggs characters <laughs> like, uh, for Star Wars? What's That's the I-N-G-J, yeah. whatever that test that people right, do right, is. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm an I-N-C-J. And that, that does belong to Palpatine, funny enough. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever done that. Maybe we'll do that on air one day, Doc. Probably not. Uh, we actually had a we actually interviewed a psychologist once. That was her day job when she wasn't authoring. And uh, we made the joke that she made the joke that she would um, psychoanalyze us on air, but then realized that that might mess with licensing because she meant it as a joke. And we were like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> That's funny. JR was very eager for it because, you know, it is attention. I just thought it was hilarious, and I, I'll do anything if I'm amused. But... <laughs> I'll do anything if he's amused. I do I have mean... a huge soft spot for Anakin. Okay. I um, I mean, you know, the infantry is the infantry, right? We'll, we'll do anything to amuse ourselves, and some of it not very safe. Uh, but so you, mentioned, safe. so you mentioned the world a little bit. Um, and, and the fact that there are pirates, I'm assuming that they're waterborne pirates and not like airships or anything like that. They are waterborne, but because it's an Alice in Wonderland retelling, there are certain um, potions that can make you float 
or turn into a specter and fly. And the ship has a system, has like a copper tubing wire system that the character in the wheelchair, her name is Tessa, she she helped build where it can take those potions and you can do things with the Devil's Gambit, the name of the ship, and, and make it invisible, make it go faster, fly. Nice. So does that mean that this is a... Um... A large, like archipelago world where it's mostly islands, or, or they, like what? Yes. What's okay? These what can you islands. tell us? What can you tell us about the worlds where the sto- this story is taking place? I actually have a map. Uh oh, I love maps. Yeah, me hold too. on, hold on. So the layout. This one here. Oh, I like it. Nice. Trying to get that right on the camera. <laughs> I don't no, mean you, to make you, a chance. You got it. There we go. IPA. EPA. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were trying to get us to drink bad beer. I know, I know. You know, I just I, like I trust my colleague. I'm going to call it IPA. I, like <laughs> it. I like it. That's pretty. Yeah. All right. All right. Back to the uh, back to the. So, what can you tell us about the uh, the world where the story takes place? IPA. Yeah. So, let's see. How can I start? Um, this world. Yeah. So. Like I was mentioning before, the the fifth dimension kind of place that, that is real, and you can go into it if you have a, an umala animal. Umala means magical, right? A magical animal that can take you in there. Um, it's very much real, and you can disappear from, from the physical a little bit. But if you can, if you can remember in Pandora how they have, like, the spirit, the Navi have, like, the spirit um, religion kind of thing, you know? It, it listens, the AO listens to you and it's very much alive. So um, a little bit of the backstory, uh, the Empress who I said was from ancient Greece and she's a past fate de- descendant. She brought, she was with her other two sisters and they were escaping wars and seeking refuge. When they opened a portal, they didn't expect there to be a whole civilization already. Um, they were bringing people, they were bringing, you know, their, their seeds and their grains and stuff like that to, to get away. Um, but when she, when they realized that, oh, there's not only people here, there, there's magic and it's a threat to, to them. So they were at war with the natives from the very beginning. Um, I don't want to get too far into, into it because <laughs> that can be boring. You can just read the book, but, um, what because uh, present, past, future, they all have like their own like abilities without giving too much away. Uh, one of them they went to Rome in the future and they brought back a deck of cards, tarot cards, as a game. And because it was magical, the AO adopted it and it became a curse because the AO didn't even know what to do with it. So, everyone in IPA is branded with a mark that belongs to a tarot archetype. Okay. That was a mouthful. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, so obviously this is Lost in Tarot Land is, is part of a series. Currently there are two books available for sale, but uh, I'm assuming that is not the end. So where do you see this series going? So I have planned basically a book for each island. Um, book one is in Wands, 
for half of the book. Book two is going to be in swords. And then we still have cups, uh, which will be book three. And then book four will be pentacles. And then, of course, the tower. So, so far, there's five. However, when I'm, as I'm writing the outline, I think in book three, we're going to have some overlap between two islands. So, I don't know. It might end in four. Now, when you when you end the three or four, when you end the series, do you plan on staying in the world to tell other stories in the world from other character point of views? I really want to. And that depends on the fandom, the readership that, you know, how, how many people are, are wanting that, I think. Because, for instance, if I do Tessa and the, and the Hermit, that's not going to be a love story. So it, it'll just be a little bit different. Okay. So uh, you mentioned there was the magic with the um, the natives and then there were the tarot card magic, but what other kinds of magic can we expect in this world? So the Uma allows um, unbound Apani to, because the, the Empress binds them so that they cannot use their magic. Magic is outlawed, I forgot to mention, uh, because the Empress does not allow it. Um, it You know, it, it, everybody's born with some sort of natural magic pertaining to that world. So some might be able to turn into a mermaid, a mermaid or a merman, or you can turn into a bird and fly, or you have Uma of fire or of snow, for instance, depending on what island you were born in. So, so I was going to say, with that magic, um, did they, do the, the current inhabitants, when, the, when Lost in Tarot Land happens, do they remember when they the time before they had their magic restrained or has it been far enough past that they've forgotten? They remember. Okay. So, um, currently in like the now of the book, um, the babies are bound as, as you know, before they get their powers. Okay. So the institutional memory though is still there because their grandparents would still be able to tell them this is the way it was before. And some of them are unbound some families are very against the empress and they hide their children. So they know that there's Uma around and in that world, you'll see posters on trees that say, um, if you see something, say something, magic is outlawed. I'm getting shades of other legal situations in the real world, but we will not talk about yes. those. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Enemy of the tower. <laughs> <laughs> All right, doc. Uh, so, no, I mean, I was enjoying it. I think it's really awesome. Um, but um, of all the magic and fantasy that you have in here, what would you want to have for daily use for you? I would love the ability to connect with an animal. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> the captain has um, has a familiar who's a wolf, and her name is Iele, which means moon, and she is the archetype of the moon tarot. And the wolf, um, first of all, she's very picky on who she connects with. So she only speaks to the captain and she can't speak. So they're like images and pictures mm -hmm. and she'll, she'll go run and, and do things for him, you know, but she has her own magic and that is the magic of hallucinatory properties. So she can make oh. you see things that aren't there, change your surroundings, even make you feel, smell things that are just not actually happening convenient skill mm -hmm. so 
Wow, that's a, that's a lot. So you the names that you've given have a slightly sort of melodic tone to the way you're saying them. Are those those clearly aren't directly from English? Is that from the language you made up, or are you drawing from like earthbound languages that I'm just her? Not oh, say so. Her name Iele, you mean? Yeah. And uh, the captain's name is Nikella. Yeah. So these are all from the Conlang. Um, okay. The names you know, they match the culture of the language, you know, language and culture are very intertwined. So when I spoke to Christian Thalman and we talked about that, he agreed. It's like, yeah, these, that there's going to be names that are, that you can feel are part of their culture and part of their language. And he drew his inspiration from Polynesian. Okay. So when he did that and you, I mean, is this your spin on the pronunciations or did he give you a pronunciation guide too? Oh, we have pronunciation guides. Yeah. That is awesome. All right. Sorry to interrupt doc. Your favorite question of yeah. them all. So how would you abuse having this magic in our world? <laughs> oh, I am afraid to even. Admit this on air. <laughs> even think about it. Cause you know, <laughs> I don't know. What all right. Well do? then. All right. What animal would you want to connect to the most? Like if you had to just pick one. Oh, that's hard. Cause I love snakes, but I also love wolves. Killian wolf. Uh, I'd probably okay. go with the wolf. Okay. Snakes or nope noodles? They're from Nopistan. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Nopistan. Yeah, I have. Sorry. He's a cute. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of things. I, I, I yeah, no. Snakes are just the hard line for me. <laughs> so uh, obviously, you have fantastical creatures in this world. Mm. So when you were creating them. How did you go about doing that? Did you let myth and lore? Did you, you know, your nightmares, your dreams? Was it Mother Nature that inspired you? Like when you're creating these fictional beings that are not humans, how do you go about doing that? So definitely there's a mix here because since I have the ancient Greeks coming in with their mythos, um, Gary is actually, Categaris, you know, remember the, the dragon I showed you. He is actually right. a, a dracon which is an ancient Greek um, mythological dragon, basically. And that is who I wanted to be for my Cheshire cat, but I wanted to make him really kind of crazy. Um, then the, the fates, their symbol are spiders because you have one that weaves the web, one that measures the web and the other one that cuts the web. So spiders are very important to the fates. And I wanted to give them kind of a characteristic. So I actually created my own uh, spider hybrid in this book. So she, so Philo and the spiders there are a mix between jumping spider and the mirror spider in Australia, which is why they have mm -hmm. like that pretty like uh, mirror image. So a little bit of mythos, a little bit of um, nature kind of combined. And there is a uh, Ouroboros serpent. In the waters cool. is huge, and we have, of course, we have mermaids, and you know the apani can shift to them. So nice, nice. So clearly, we're we're wrapping this interview up. But before we let you go, was there anything about Lost in Tarotland, a dark Alice in Wonderland retelling, that we didn't ask you? And obviously, it's the first book in the Chronicles of Tarotland series, dear listener. But was there anything we didn't ask you that you want to tell us before we move on? It is available on ebook, paperback. The hardback will come at some point soon. I am going to reuse the old cover 
before the rebrand and just have a title change and that'll be the hardcover because it is a beautiful cover and so many people did like it. Okay. Um, so you said there there are plans hopefully at some point in the future to do a potential audiobook if the reader demand is high enough? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so before we let you go, dear listener, this is the part where I remind you that your reviews matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platform. They help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. And uh, rumor has it that if she gets her hundredth review, the tarot card comes in the mail and she gets to disappear to fantasy worlds to take notes, to write the next book. True story. I heard it on the back <laughs> of, a, of a cereal box and they would never lie to me. So awesome. doc, did you get that experience growing up? Cause I know you, in your formative years, you were living in Saudi Arabia. So did you get the cereal box as a kid where the toys inside and all that? We got cereal boxes. I just didn't eat a lot of cereal. My mother liked me. That's what she told me as she made me eat breakfast. I like you. I made you breakfast. Eat it. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> Killian, thank you for coming on. Uh, how can listeners or, or viewers find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? Oh, you can find me anywhere. I'm on Facebook and um, I think my handles are, my handle will be down on the on the notes, but just Killian Wolf author. And you can find my handle, the same thing on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, <laughs> Pinterest, <laughs> YouTube. So uh, much like the uh, friend of the show, Declan Finn, she, if there's a social media platform, she's there pretty much. Yeah. And she was very nice to have a universal link that links all of it. Like normally I, I can spend up to an hour tracking everyone down hers five minutes. I was done. And mostly it was because clicking the links, the internet was slow this morning. Uh, but yeah, so that should be easy to your listener. Uh, and you can, you can track her down and see all the, don't mock me doc. It's not fair. Uh, you can, you can find all of the things uh, and, and, you know, check her out. So you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We do have a Facebook page of Eventually, Doc is going to finish setting that up because she is the owner, and we will have a dedicated URL. But for now, it is there. We share book reviews. We share our episodes. I give you more books to add to your TBR pile, and um, the reading gods will thank you for it. Just buy the books. Seriously. Uh, we have a website where totally cool stuff happens at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm. Don't do that. It's contagious talk. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help support the show and keep the lights on. These episodes aren't free to produce and your contributions are greatly appreciated. If you want to support the show more directly, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the podcast in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. I will pour Cuban coffee down their throat until they can see colors or no, see sound and hear colors. There we go. I'll get it right. Just need more coffee, clearly. Hell yeah, sounds like fun. Let's try it. Okay. So, on behalf of J.R. Hanley, the addle brained and the absentee brained J Nick Garber, 
I am Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. Thank you for joining us and spending some of your very precious time with us. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, doing whatever shenanigans come to mind. Have a great time. Thank, Thank you. you so Thanks for coming, Killian.